Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. We have the great professor extraordinaire. I think she's at American now where she's, uh, uh, listen, Dr. Carr gave you the biggest shout out because not only are you teaching law, you're teaching it through an Africana studies lens, which is, and you were like, this is how we're going to center blackness as we study the law. (laughs) And if you want me at this school, this is how we're going to do this. That was a boss move. I'm so proud of you. Let me welcome to the show the one and only Angie Porter. Oh, applause. Thank you. Thank you, applause. Two times. Hold on. You're going to get your applause. I'm going to wait for your applause, Angie. There you go. Thank you. Thank All right. you. Go ahead. Thank you so much for those kind words. You're so, so kind. Thank you. Well, let me introduce you to Torin. Torin Ellis is my partner in power today. Um, once again, we find ourselves with a verdict coming in during my show. Uh, basically, it came actually right before showtime. Uh, we played it. Uh, Judge Chu and her soft, dulcet tones, just calmly, you know, guilty on the second charge, guilty. Uh, mm-hmm. Were you surprised, Angie, at both the guilty verdicts? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say surprised. I kind of expected guilty, honestly. I kind of expected it just because the tea leaves that I was reading, you know, I thought if it's not guilty, they wouldn't have taken this long. Now it it wasn't extremely long. I mean, I've had cases where we were waiting for three days, you know, so it wasn't extremely long. It was more of a complex case, I think. Um, not in terms of how much evidence there was, but just in terms of the concept of manslaughter. That's not something people think about a lot. We're all familiar with murder, manslaughter, not so much. So I thought, you know, it wasn't too long, but it was too long for a not guilty, for 12 people to agree (laughs) she ain't guilty. Because I think they would have immediately agreed if all 12 of them liked Kim Potter's conduct, I think they would have immediately said, all right, cool. So we're all in the same accord. Yeah, Angie, I want to ask a question. I'm wondering, you know, when you talk about that delay that existed with the jury, uh, and I don't know if you watched the trial, followed it, you know, intimately, but, but I'm curious, is there any potential technicality that you feel is problematic that would allow them to come back and overturn the verdict and allow it to be something different? They are playing it out over the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months, however that happens. Yeah, great question, Torin. I don't think length of deliberation alone is a basis for that. They were worried that that could be an appealable issue if they were, according to Judge Chu's plan, released to go home. Because these jurors have been staying in a hotel. They've been sequestered, separated from society. But she was going to let them go home over the holiday. And then they were going to be able to talk with their aunties, uncles, uh, spouses. And so that might have been an extraordinary factor that enabled some appeal argument. But what is helpful for everybody to keep in mind is she's going to appeal. (laughs) Appeals happen. Chauvin's appeal is in play right now. You know, appeals are very common and they throw the book at the appellate court. They they throw all the arguments in. So is that an argument that might come up? Perhaps. Is it a winning argument? I doubt it. 
I think just, is pretty standard. And just to be clear, not to monopolize, just to be clear, in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, it was that technicality around the length of the barrel. That's what I'm asking about. Oh. Are there any, you know, any technicalities that you might be aware of that mm-hmm. I myself or the audience may not be aware of that may possibly uh I guess overturn the verdict? Okay, gotcha. Thank you, Torrin. I You're totally welcome. misunderstood your question. That's um, all right. You didn't misunderstand. You're good. Thank you. Oh, well, the length of the barrel in <laughs> let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse in this case. The length of the barrel, I mean, what a BS <laughs> result. I don't even think we should, we can compare that to any other case that makes sense. I mean, that was just absurd. I don't see any level of factual inconsistency here that would let Kim Potter off on a technicality on manslaughter. I don't think that there is that sort of thing going on here. Um, And even Noor, I mean, Noor's sentence, Muhammad Noor, who shot Justine Ruschik um, in Minnesota years ago, he technically had a sentence shortened on a technicality even that isn't really going on here. They ha- they were really creative with Noor and they applied a charge that wasn't typically applied under the circumstances. Here, I think these manslaughter charges are pretty solid. So I don't see any immediate issues. It's a great question though. We'll have to see how creative this appeal is. Mm. Well, you, you brought up Chauvin um, and, and I said, Keith Ellison's not district attorney she might not even get prosecuted. She might not even get charged or indicted, right? And that's why elections matter. And Angie's dog agrees. Um, Chauvin, Chauvin was also brought up on federal charges for killing uh, or depriving, I think, George Floyd of civil rights. In that case, uh, did he already plead guilty to that? I think I, I saw somewhere where he's not going to go to trial for that. Uh, he pled guilty. Yes, he did this week take a guilty plea in that case. So what is what, what are the implications in, of that? What does that mean? What does that mean for him? Yeah, he will be serving likely a 25 year sentence in federal prison. Angie Porter's here. She put the dog away because uh, we got a lot of I, I was only going to uh, have you on for a couple of minutes. Uh, but there's so much to unpack here. Um, you just told us before the break, Derek Chauvin pled guilty to the federal charge of killing or depriving George Floyd of his uh, human rights and civil rights. And that is, he's looking at 25 years there. Uh, does he serve that first and then comes back to the state of Minnesota? How does that work? No, I'm willing to bet that the plea is concurrent. So, you know, okay. he, he got to get something out of it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it would just replace essentially his 22 and a half year sentence in Minnesota, but it is longer, um, not just from 22 and a half to 25, but as we, we're discussing earlier, he doesn't get that two thirds and then you walk out. He would have to do basically the whole 25 in federal prison. Now, federal prison, just correct me, seems to be a bit of more of a cakewalk of service than than state prison. Uh, people who serve yeah. in federal, you know, they call it like club fed, you know, is it is it a nicer <laughs> time for people like him? You know, I think that's a misconception. I think it depends on where you live. I'm I'm hitting you with the lawyer. It depends. So I bet state prison in Georgia, for example, is terrible. 
Um, state prison in Louisiana, we know, is like being on a plantation. Federal prison is probably much better in those places. But in Minnesota, state prison is known to be a little more, uh, I mean, it has more programs. People can get their degree. People can, you know, I know people who've gone through those programs who are come out with a job, you know. Federal prison is more bare bones because it's federal funding. And uh, that's kind of lean. So for Chauvin, though, he wants to get away from the inmates who he arrested and put in prison. And because he is a uh, uh, Minneapolis police officer, he's probably putting a lot of people in state prison for state crimes. So he wants to be up there with people who don't have as much of a connection with him. Okay. As yeah, if, and Karen, uh, just real quick. Go ahead, ahead Tora. Real, real quick, Karen, I, I, I will agree um, with the professor that it, it really does depend from a federal standpoint where you're located. I have personal friends who are in both state and federal. One of my my very best friend was actually in federal up in New Jersey near you, uh, has now been uh, sent to New York and then transferred over to federal prison in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. I'm not It's outside of Minneapolis. And he's already shared with me the difference in being in federal in New Jersey versus the difference in being in federal over in Minnesota. And he'd prefer to be over in Minnesota versus being in Jersey. Okay. Yeah. That's see, that's the insight we need. There's also levels. There's different types of federal facilities. So that changes it. So we don't know where he's going to go, but uh, okay. But I was going to say wherever he goes, Derek Chauvin's name will be forever linked to George Floyd. And I imagine there's going to be inmates who will not be happy with his presence there. Yes. Thank you for, for that. I was talking to my mom yesterday and I was having this same conversation and she was like, <laughs> she said exactly what you said, Karen. She's like, uh, but everybody knows Derek Chauvin. So can he escape any inmate who would think lowly of him? No. Wherever he goes, he's going to have a hard time. Yeah. All right. So Kim Potter, she put on some weight. She put on some dowdy, dowdy outfit, uh, outfits, uh, didn't wear a lot of makeup, got up there, cried, looked very matronly, didn't wash her hair, you know, tried to look as pitiful as possible, uh, still found guilty on two manslaughter charges. And the judge, mm. uh, her lawyer was like, well, she's been a pillar of the community. She's been on the force for 20. She's an older woman. Uh, she's, you know, she's, she's got family here. She's not a flight risk. Just let her go home. We don't even know what the sentence is. And the judge was like, yes, thank you. Uh, goodbye. You're going to go to jail <laughs> right now. Is that unusual? No, no. She wanted special treatment, essentially. <laughs> not unusual. As Matt Frank said when he got up there. Uh, this is a serious crime. We're talking about manslaughter. This is not stealing from a gas station. This is manslaughter. Somebody died. Uh, when you get convicted, you you get remanded to custody. And you know the fact that it's December twenty third doesn't matter. What about all these people who get sentenced on a regular day, June fifth? You know <laughs> they don't get this argument about going home on the holidays. So. Judge Chu rightfully and steadily and unfazed as she's been throughout the whole trial was like, no, I'm she's getting she's getting arrested. Anything else? She's getting remanded. Anything else? 
And I really applaud her because she has shown what judges should try to emulate. It's a refreshing palate cleanser after watching Bruce Schroeder one oh state God. over in the Rittenhouse trial. And he's, honestly, it's refreshing after um, Pete Cahill and Chauvin. I mean, he kind of lost his temper at, at times. Judge Chu was like cool as a cucumber throughout and firm, but cool. Professor okay. Porter, I'm wondering, you know, when you think about, uh, as Karen and I were discussing at the top of the show, you know, when you think about what we've seen, let's just say this year, um, given what we've seen this year, do you feel like there's a, a minor crack in, in the dam of accountability in that going forward, we will see more of this thinking about Steve Stout's book, The Tanning of America from almost a decade ago, the many, many, many conversations around the changing demographic, the challenges that we have in so many uh, institutions. Do you feel like as it relates to police officers, there's a bit of a crack in the dam of holding them accountable going forward? Hmm. This is a hard one because there are, there are things on both sides of this answer. Um, will other attorneys and judges be able to draw from these successful cases when they make their arguments in future cases? Absolutely. There's a precedent set Will conscientious police departments change their policies to avoid liability or guilt um, and maybe you know be more attentive to weapons confusion so that this doesn't happen again? Maybe. But the hidden hand in all this is racism. And racism has shown itself to be a very evolutionary opponent, it changes, it morphs, it adapts. So will people get creative about avoiding guilt and liability at the same time? Yeah. Will police wisen up as they, well, we know they've wisened up to being filmed all the time. They have body cams and they have their own code language and uh, you know, code of conduct that they've created around the body cam so that there isn't evidence ready for these trials. Uh, that will continue and they will continue to be a step ahead. So I think that we shouldn't be you know, exhausted. We should still be vigilant about ensuring that accountability is had and we should be attentive to the types of efforts that will try to avoid it. Um, but we have to, we can't underestimate the power of white nationalist police, the fraternity that is there. We witnessed that in this trial. We witnessed the power of that police family, as they called it. Um, so we really have to maintain a level of attention and now be a step ahead of them. And sure, for these elections, these district attorney, these 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 elections that really impact our lives, these ju judicial seats that are are elected, we got to really show up, double down, uh, and be vigilant and making sure that we have lawyers and and judges that uh, don't hate us or don't Absolutely. value us or don't see us. Uh, to Torrance's point, eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. We'll take the callers as well. Uh, Kim Kim Potter uh, is remanded 
February 18th, she will be sentenced. Um, what is she facing with these two counts of manslaughter, Angie? Yes. So I'll say what's on the books and then we'll talk about the sentencing guidelines, which is what actually matters. So first degree manslaughter, I think has a man, has a um, maximum of 15 years in prison. Oh. Second degree manslaughter has a maximum of 10 years. Uh, the sentencing guidelines are a regime that's overlaid on sentencing to ensure fairness and to consider many factors in sentencing. One being a person's criminal history score. A lot of these police officers have a criminal history score of zero. They don't have a criminal history. So that puts them at the low end of a sentencing range. The sentencing guidelines are not mandatory, but they are very uh, powerful. It's required that judges use them as a framework and explain themselves if they depart. So the we can look at a table and see essentially what the recommended sentence is for Kim Potter. For the first degree charge, it's seven years. For the second degree charge, it's four years. Recall Muhammad Noor just appealed his sentence and he's like about to walk out of prison, he was convicted of second degree manslaughter. So he, his four years is essentially up. And I think it's more like three for him because of that two thirds thing that's going on. So yeah, she's looking at seven years. Now, prosecution has made clear throughout this trial that they are gonna do what's called a Blakely hearing, which means they're gonna prove up a factor about her conduct that allows them to seek a longer sentence. That's what they did in Chauvin. So one of those factors is, did the defendant put other people's lives in danger? So not, not Dante Wright, but were other people's lives endangered? And they have introduced a lot of evidence of that. <laughs> when she shot the gun, it was a foot away from another, the black officer's face Oh wow! Uh, it was pointed at yeah. It was pointed in the direction of Dante Wright's girlfriend, Elena Albrecht Payton. It was pointed in the direction of the officer she claimed she was trying to save, Sergeant Johnson. And then by by shooting Dante Wright, she caused him to drive off in this car. Un and it's an uncontrolled, what they call an unguided hazard. And in fact, the car went over the median and hit another car. And there was an 80 year old, 80 plus year old couple in there. Um, the woman wasn't injured, but the husband is in hospice care and his family oh, maintains, wow. you know, he had all these health issues before, but this exacerbated it and now he's dying. Wow. So all of that has come in. So they're like, yeah, we're seeking a higher sentence. How high? We don't know, but we'll see. Ooh, Ooh, that nuance right there, because yeah. I was totally unaware of the vehicle hitting another vehicle. Again, I don't follow them like that, but I so appreciate your sharing that what some might see as a minor detail, but the appreciation to the prosecutorial team for saying we're not we're not going lenient in this. We are going to do all that we can to hold her accountable. I appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, and I appreciate their decision to do that. I mean, that's their job. They're supposed to go in, <laughs> not hold back. 
Um, and I think they've been a decent team. There, there's been some weaknesses, but I think. Um, for, for, for instance, what would one of those weaknesses be or one or two? You know, this team, the most skilled member of this team is Matt Frank, hands down. And I know that they were being attentive to gender dynamics. So they had Aaron Eldridge, who's more junior, do both opening and closing. I actually think in the end, she did a great job on opening and closing. Where she faces challenges is um, on cross-examination and direct examination, which is a more improvised exercise. I thought they could have brought in the more senior member of the team <laughs> to do the cross of Kim Potter. I don't know if you've watched Kim Potter's direct and cross, but we needed somebody to go in on Kim Potter. Erin Eldridge, she caught her stride late in the cross, but the momentum just wasn't there. And I thought that was a technical weakness. Um, again, you know, I'm not up in the courtroom doing this. I'm not trying to be overly critical of these very talented attorneys. But if I were the team maker and I was thinking, okay, let's let's get Erin out there. She's good when she can rehearse. She's weak when she has to improv. I'd be I'd be moving the pieces around. And I think right. for the defendant to testify, you need to put your best up there so he can go in. And Matt Frank, I think, would have been that person. Um, so if this had been an acquittal, that was definitely going to be a critique I raised was how they chose to divvy up those responsibilities. What, what was the racial makeup of the jury? There were three non-white jurors. Two of them were Asian and one was a black woman. Mm -hmm. And the rest were white, white men six or men, women, six, six men, six men six women total i don't know i don't know the okay. racial makeup of that i have to think about that okay okay <laughs> it's like it's like a logical a logical yeah, and I, I asked that because you know having the woman cross-examine the woman might have been strategic even if she was weak because sometimes seeing a man go hard in the paint against this woman who again dressed for the part was dowdy and seemed unthreatening and started crying could have been deemed as bullying and might've made yeah. her more sympathetic to that jury. So even though yeah. that prosecutor might've been weaker, maybe there was some gender dynamics playing out in terms of their decision to have her do that. Yeah, that is a great point. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I was thinking about the specter of bullying that whole time. And there was a point where Eldridge did sort of seemed like she was badgering and bullying Kim Potter. I don't know how that would have looked <laughs> from Matt Frank. So I think you're absolutely right. I just think it was risky given Eldridge's seemingly like tentative demeanor. Mm. Now, I've, I've been talking on the sidelines with a couple of my attorney friends in Minnesota and we're like, could y'all not find a better woman attorney? <laughs> I don't want to go too hard on Erin because I think, again, she did a wonderful job, especially on opening and closing. But it it also sort of speaks to like how many women prosecutors do y'all have to draw from? How 
the team is three men. You know, you see three men at the table and one woman. They y'all didn't have another woman. Y'all could have brought it in. <laughs> nah, apparently not. Which, which again, you know, and, and again, you know, having representation, voting for people who are going to make sure that the you know prosecutorial team uh, is made up comprised of people who uh, represent the community as well. That's important, but that doesn't happen overnight. You know, eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. I like that. Let's let's take some calls. Professor Angie Porter is here. Torrin Ellis is here. Let's head over to Michigan. Welcome in, Robert. You're on. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show, Robert. Hi. Robert. Hi. How are you? Hi. Good. Hi, Robert. I'm calling about the verdict. I think the verdict was uh, 200% right. Uh, my thing is this. I think we also need to look on the other side of people resisting arrest. I know a lot of times people don't want to hear that, but sometimes, you know, I mean, if we don't talk about that also, what's going to happen is you're going to have people that are doing, committing crimes and thinking they just can get away with anything. I'm not what? saying she was what? just Wait, wait, no, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Have you ever been arrested? No, I haven't. Okay. I've been stopped so, by police. So, you know, it's, oh, you've been shot by police. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Stop. Go ahead. No, I said stop. <laughs> no, oh, stop. Shot. I've been okay. stopped by the police many okay. times. Okay, all right. You um, know, I, resisting arrest. Wait, I, I, let me just say, he's 20. The The fight or flight... And a 20-year-old would be different than somebody, you know, like, I don't want to indict Dante Wright because for all for, for us, he's innocent until proven guilty, period, full stop. Kim Potter, if she's that trained 27 years on, on the force, which she was, should have been able to figure out how to bring Dante Wright in without killing him. She was unable mm-hmm. to do that. She's now going to jail. That said, people are going to resist arrest. That's part of your training. They're going to run. They're going to flee. People run. They don't want to be arrested. Even if it's for something that, you know, you got a bench warrant, you know, you got a warrant for tickets or something. People run. They do that. And having a a finger wagging, well, we got to teach our young people not to run. Is not, that's not why Dante Wright is dead right now. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, a red herring. You know, that whole argument that's fed to us about resisting arrest. First of all, we can point to plenty examples like Philando Castile, a a person complying totally with police commands uh, and ending up dead. So there's that. Um, Also, when you're unjustly stopped, I mean, what you do in that moment is, I think whatever you think is righteous makes sense. Like if you are unjustly stopped. And sometimes these police commands are confusing They don't make sense. People don't know what they're supposed to do. And if we really lived in a just society, we wouldn't have a situation where police are killing people with impunity. That's the reality Dante Wright lived in. That's the missing factor. He lived in a reality where people like him get killed in these interactions with police. So that's going through his mind. And, you know, we're, if this were a just society, police wouldn't be so easily able to access lethal weapons and kill and get off for that to the point where folks like Dante Wright are so scared of them. We, we live in a society, a society where people are rightfully scared of these hunters, as Dr. Carr calls them aptly. Police are hunters, as Dr. Carr says. So, you know, in that situation, I'm not holding people accountable for resisting arrest because it's such a fraught interaction to begin with. All right. Jan in Kentucky, I just want to take as many callers as possible. Torin is here, of course. Jan in Kentucky, you're on with Professor Angie Porter. 
Welcome. Hi. Turn that, turn your radio down, Jan. Jesus. All right. Let's go to Kim while Jan figures out, turn the radio down. Go to Kim in Virginia. Kim in Virginia has a question about sentencing. Welcome to the Karen Hunter show. Hi, everyone. Um, Thank you for taking my call. Um, Just a quick question. I didn't follow the trial that much, but I did follow um, the Mr. Chauvin trial. And I remember that he, part of his, part of his sentence because it was other people around and because one of the witnesses was a minor that influenced how they seek um, a higher sentencing. And I was wondering if that would apply here um, because I, I believe the victim had his daughter in the back seat. Would that be a factor? And is that something that, you know, can change anything? Wow, Kim, you are so observant. We were just talking about this. What you just raised are the Blakely factors. So yeah, there are factors that the prosecution team can raise to make the sentence longer. And as you aptly recalled, they did that in Chauvin. Here, the factors are not the same. Um, There are a lot of factors available. The one that they're focusing on is the bystanders, like you alluded to. Dante Wright's child was not in the car. But what you might be thinking about is the fact that his girlfriend was in the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. So she is a bystander whose life was put in danger. Other people whose lives put in danger were the two police officers accompanying Kim Potter and two um, 80-year-old pa- uh, driver and passenger of the car that Dante Wright's car hit after he was shot. So yeah, you're absolutely right. They are going to bring that in to try to get a higher sentence. Thank you, Kim. Uh, let's take two more calls and then we'll let Angie go do her life. Uh, uh, Dr. Porter, excuse me, Professor Porter. Crystal, Crystal in Detroit. And Detroit uh, just got a, a attorney general, uh, excuse me, U.S. attorney uh, from Detroit has just been named Detroit native Dawn Eisen, officially sworn in as U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Did you know about this, the, Professor Porter? I did not. I was yeah, not that, following. That's great. Yeah, that just happened. First black woman U.S. attorney ever. She comes from Detroit. Uh, so congratulations to Dawn Eisen and welcome Crystal from Detroit. Hi. Hi, Hi Karen. Love your show. Um, you. I was just going to comment on um, the professor's comment that, that she thought that they should have gone a little harder on Kim Porter. I absolutely disagree. I agree with you. I'm a lawyer. I've been one for 27 years. Uh, I, she's a difficult person to cross-examine. Uh, there was going to be sympathy. The jury was ma- majority white, six women, and there is absolutely no way that man could have cross-examined her. And there was no way that the prosecutor should have gone any more hard on her than what she did. Uh, right after this, she's on video crying, hysterical. They have to take her gun from her. They think she's going to commit suicide. I think part of that probably was an act. If you look at her demeanor after that verdict came back, uh, she was she was shooting darts with those eyes. I didn't oh see gosh, her upset. Yeah. I didn't see her crying. She was she was uh, not happy as she should not have been. But all that emotion was definitely gone. And as and, and as far as Dante Wright leaving, twenty year olds do stupid things, right? I, I'm glad I'm not being judged today by things I did when I was twenty years old. Uh, black men, like you say, are legitimately afraid of police, but I think we need to quit being so hard on us because there weren't a lot of people saying Kyle Rittenhouse had had to leave, had to flee, right? He should have gotten out of the way. They they demanded the fact, I mean, defended the fact 
that he showed up in a state he didn't live in with a gun to protect other people's property, and nobody said he should have run. He was allowed to stand and shoot. So we want to blame this young man for running for his life. What was so insensitive was when her, her lawyer said he even fled after he got shot. Well, people shooting at you, yeah, you're going to try to get away. And yeah. so, you know, I hope nobody else calls in and criticizes him for trying to get out of the line of fire after this woman had pulled a gun on him for having an air freshener hanging Listen, from his rear view mirror. Crystal, thank you, and thank you for your service. You know, we're we're hardwired, unfortunately, many people in this country to, to uh, find every reason <laughs> why it's our fault. We're hardwired to blame ourselves. We're hardwired to to try to do everything perfectly, you know, whether it's in corporate America or in in them streets, as if we're not all human beings. Black people don't aren't allowed to be human beings in America, and I am not here for it. We're gonna be humans, <laughs> <laughs> not yes. on my watch. Yes, uh, be absolutely. Alex, Alex in Toronto, and then we got to go to a break. Hi, Alex. Welcome. Hi there. Thanks for taking the call. I'm just um, listening to a lot of different stations and yourself. As oh, well. you just, I oh, you just happen to hear, this is your first time tuning in. You just returning and tuning through, yes. just trying to find different perspectives. And you just happen to find 126. And that's the, oh, welcome. No, I, I, to, okay, go ahead. Yeah, that, thank you. I've listened to you guys in the past, but I'm just kind of hearing the perspectives of people cheering like outside the courthouse and people being happy about this. I don't think there's anything to be kind of happy about here. It was just a tragic accident. I mean, it's a really was unfortunate it? accident. Were you there? And, Right there, were you there, no, Alex? It was because a, a jury said it wasn't an accident, a jury said it was manslaughter. Mm. I think that we all can agree that this she didn't intentionally. Can we? Do you know? Do you know this woman? You were you in her head because a jury said it was manslaughter. A jury said there were mitigating factors that led to her not just being oopsie in a mistake. Yeah, and actually, this is I'm really glad that this came in. Because this is a huge misinterpretation of the law, and this is what the prosecution team had to really hammer home, was that accidents, it being an accident, is not a defense. There are accidents that are crimes. So the mere viewpoint that this was a mistake is not enough for it not to be a crime. Accidents can be crimes if they arise out of reckless or culpably negligent conduct. And when you have someone who participates in a quote unquote accident, who has a level of responsibility for not making that very mistake, we have recklessness and culpable negligence. So I think Alex, you know, that is the nuance that the jury was taught. taught. That's the nuance they had to think about when they deliberated. And I'm glad that they successfully navigated that kind of complex nuance there that a lot of people still don't really get. Karen, can I jump in just for a moment? If Alex is still there, uh, let me indulge. Alex, if you're still there, complete that thought. You know, you, you said it was an accident. People shouldn't be cheering. Complete your thought. I would love to complete it. I just haven't been able to. I don't know if I was put on hold. Or go ahead, go ahead. He just you gave you the opportunity. Don't, don't, and listen, listen, I'm, and I'm, I'm not here for that. Either, Torrin, I gave Torrin a license to do that. You complete it. Don't come in with a whole lot of qualifying complaints. Complete your damn thought. But now, if this was a horrible accident where someone was to leave a dog or, sorry, a child or 
I, I, whatever it is, in a car, let's just say an example, and then someone ended up dying as a result of it. That's a horrible mistake. You still go to jail for that. That's still criminal, and they, they still deserve to. But I'm saying that there shouldn't be cheering for the fact that this happened. She's going to go to prison. She's guilty of it. Everyone found her guilty. I'm saying that I'm in agreement with you. I'm just saying that I don't think this warrants cheering and excitement because I don't think this was a racial issue where she went out and shot somebody. And like this is, this is just Alex. a horrible accident that she's going to pay for now. Alex, awesome. So here's what I would ask of you. Uh, and I know that you will probably be dropped. Um, and I appreciate you completing the thought. But what you did not say in any of that is that we should have some degree of happiness or sympathy or focus on Dante Wright's family. Your entire argument and position is on having some degree of empathy and sympathy for the officer. The reason people cheer is because for far too often we've had nothing to cheer about. Mm. Mm. Right. And you is know, still- all those emotions that people feel about Kim Potter, oh, she's going to jail. She's going to jail for less than 10 years. Dante Wright is no longer among us. So keep his his life on the forefront of your mind. And I'm I'm curious. I'm curious. And and thank you, Torin, for indulging. And, and the reason why I don't is because it, you know. I have a finite amount of energy and I'm going to spend that energy empowering folk. <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. here to educate people who are, are steep mired in ignorance. That said, um, Alex, do you feel as if Dante Wright's life wasn't valuable enough for us to have any modicum of concern about him no longer being here? Of course it had a lot of value. Every life has value. There's so no why did you bring him up? Why did you bring him up in, in the, in the annals of things? She's going to jail for seven to 15 years, the most 10, maybe seven to five, 10 years, the most, right? Dante Wright was murdered. He was killed. He's gone. He's 20 years old. Why, why, why didn't he even enter your thought? That wasn't the point of the call that I was making. Yeah, was but that's the point though. Why wasn't it the point? But that's not the point. That, that, no, could... that, why wasn't it the point? And that's a question you're going to have to really sit with yourself and ask yourself, Alex in Toronto, why didn't I give a modicum of concern for Dante Wright and his life that was taken from him that day for a traffic stop, for an air freshener in the window? Why didn't I care about him enough? Why am I concerned about people cheering for this woman going to jail for killing him and I'm not concerned about him? And then you bring up a dog or something mm. as if there's some equivalence between Dante Wright, human being, and a dog. Like, Hmm. that's that's something you really got to sit with yourself with. There's a lack of humanity there in your spirit that you got to reconcile with. And I'm done. We got to go to a break. Angie Porter, let me tell you, thank you, first of all. It's been a horrible year, but it's been a wonderful year. (laughs) And you've been with us through Chauvin, McMichaels, and and Rittenhouse. I mean, you have been with us through all of these trials. uh, And it has been amazing getting to know you. You're a brilliant legal mind. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do with those students at American U. And I appreciate you being a part of this family. One of the greatest bright spots of this year has been Angie Porter on the Karen Hunter Show. And I'm just so thankful. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.